Our Heavenly Father, we thank you again for uh, your Bible. We thank you again that it speaks to us uh, about uh, angels and what we're going to study today, but we're, we're even more pleased that it speaks to us about the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you uh, that he is uh, the final word that dis, uh, declares you and teaches us about you and shows us that perfect express image uh, that you are. Help us to not uh, look at angels, Lord, but to look to him uh, this morning, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, I notice, and we've talked about this between Joel and I, he always has a really good title of his sermons, and he always has a question mark. I don't even think about a title, although I think it's important as I've had to think about one, but having thought of one, it's nothing special. It just says, Why Jesus Christ Came. That, that's the title, and it ends with a question mark. Uh, so I, I hope you don't feel like it's going to be anything different to what you normally get. We're looking at Hebrews chapter 2, as I said. If, you, if you're in that page, you'll find Hebrews chapter 1 nearby, and we'll be looking into Hebrews 1 as well. Normally you're used to one verse at a time in this church, because I do listen to Joel, and he does one or two verses. Uh, uh, you're going to have me go through like two chapters in one message and uh, the two chapters will not cover every single verse but we're looking at just the f general flow of what the two chapters say about Jesus' birth as we approach Christmas. The, the first thing I want us to think about is the glory of Christ. Uh, we want to focus ourselves on the glory of Jesus Christ. We, we don't know who wrote Hebrews. Uh, this letter was written to Jewish Christians, and it was written to Jewish Christians who were suffering. They were suffering persecution because the Jewish community that they belonged to uh, rejected them because they were Christian. And the Roman Empire wasn't too excited about Christians either, and so they were outcasts in the Roman Empire as well. History books reveal that these uh, Jewish Christians uh, suffered beatings, uh, often from their own, they were publicly humiliated, uh, usually by the Romans. Uh, many of them lost their family. Uh, they lost their jobs for being a Christian. And uh, they lost their homes. Uh, some were even killed. Uh, it's hard to imagine this kind of persecution in laid-back Australia. It's hard to think that um, people could be any more interested than when the rugby league season is going to start next. But, but what would you say to somebody uh, if they were to lose their religious freedom? Uh, if, what would you say to someone if they had to pay uh, such a price? Well, well, the writer to the Hebrews, if you scan the whole book quickly, ha has phrases all through it. It has phrases like this, hold fast to your confession, uh, strive to enter that rest. Go on to maturity. Lay hold of the hope that is set before us. Uh, encouraging words, aren't they? They're words of exhortation. They're calling on Christians not to give up. The implication is that when persecution comes, uh, the implication is that when troubles come, we will be tempted to give up. Uh, however, the mark of a true Christian is that they don't give up, isn't it? We know that. Uh, 
the Christian, he or she, always presses on. And so encouraging phrases like this are worthwhile because the Christian will hear these phrases and say, absolutely right, I've got to have a go. Um, exhorting the reader not to give up, though, is not the main strategy of this writer. The writer to the Hebrews has a much bigger uh, plan. Uh, to, to encourage people not to give up, he, he's aware that education and telling people what to do doesn't necessarily produce the right behavior. Uh, you can tell your kids this is what's good for you, and they still won't do it. Um, you need to focus on something bigger, don't you? And he does. He focuses on Jesus. Uh, and at Christmas, it's a perfect time. That's really our focus, isn't it? Uh, you say, well, how does he focus on Jesus? Well, quickly scanning through chapter 1, uh, he tells us in, say, verse 2 of chapter 1 that Jesus is the complete message that comes from God. Uh, you won't get a more complete message. You don't need any more after Jesus. Because he says, in these last days, he has spoken, past tense, to us by his son. In verse 3, he, he says that Jesus is the express image of God the Father. He is the brightness of the glory and the express image of his person. You, you won't see anyone that's more like God uh, than Jesus. Why? Because he's God. Verse 5, uh, Jesus is the Son of God. For which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And as Son of God, in verse 8, he's king. He's king forever. Verse 10, Jesus laid the foundations of the earth and by his hands he made the heavens. Uh, you, you get the idea. He, he's, he's God. J Jesus is not an angel. He, he's superior. He's God himself. And if you've just looked at chapter 1 alone, it should make you thirsty for the rest. If I did this in our church, there would be. For your church, you're already going through Hebrews. So you're saying, well, tell us something new. Well, if you were a Christian uh, in those days, you'd probably be feeling the same. But then you'd go into chapter 2, and chapter 2 says, well, do you want something more? Well, Jesus brings a great salvation. And in chapter 2, at the beginning, he says he's such a great saviour. Pay close attention to him and obey his offer of salvation. Uh, how amazing is Jesus? <laughs> And once again, to Dremoin people, you're saying, well, hang on a minute. We studied this verse by verse. You're telling us nothing new. Well, if you were a Christian in the days when the Hebrew letter was written and you were the first people to receive it, uh, you'd be tempted to say the same thing. You'd be saying, hang on a minute. Uh, tell me something new. This is what I read when I've read one of the earliest Gospels. If you just read the story of Jesus' birth... Uh, you, you get all these facts. The angels, when they came to Mary or they came to Joseph, this is exactly what they told them. For instance, in Matthew, when the angel uh, comes uh, to Joseph, he tells Joseph, 
marry Mary because even though she's pregnant in your engagement, she's not unfaithful. No, no, she's got a son conceived by the Holy Spirit, and I'd like you to call him Jesus. Uh, Why? Well, he says Jesus means God saves. Uh, And the promise from the angel is that he will save his people from their sins. He will do it. Uh, He's he's the only saviour. He's the guaranteed saviour. He won't miss a single one. Uh, And Matthew records this angel and and Jesus, uh, uh, if you like, encounter. And even before you read Hebrews, you you know Jesus is the saviour. If you go to Matthew again, it's not just the angel, but Matthew makes a side comment. He says, by the way, 600 years before today, this bloke Isaiah came along, and Isaiah, he, he said, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall, shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Once again, you know he's God. It, it, nothing new. Luke tells us that an angel came to Mary. And this angel comes to Mary, his name's Gabriel, and Gabriel tells Mary that Jesus will be great. He will be called the son of the highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. We read that earlier. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom, and of his kingdom there will be no end. All you had to do was study a few pages out of Matthew, or a few pages out of Luke, and you would already know what's in chapter 1 of Hebrews. Well, well, why repetition? Why tell us all these things all over again? This is Christianity 101. Uh, we're, we're Hebrews. We're, we're Hebrew Christians. Well, well yeah, can, can I put it to you that, that he writes this because we tend to forget the most basic stuff when we're under persecution. But when we're under stress, we make the most silliest of mistakes. When we suffer injustice of any kind, not only are we screaming out unfair, but we lose perspective. And it's very easy to forget the big stuff. When the wheels fall off, when pressure comes from every angle we we start to lose our heads and we need to be reminded of the important stuff that Jesus really is the saviour we need to be reminded that he's God he's God's great king who will be the king forever Uh, he's the son of God he's very God he's God with us Uh, we, we need to bring our perspective back don't we But we need to realize not just our current situation might look like it's out of control, but we need to look at the one who is in control. We need to, right at the first step, get some kind of grip on the glory of Christ. We need to see just how amazing he is and just how wonderful he is. And the first thing, once we see just how he is so amazing. Uh, 
first thing we'll think of is, do we really want to give up on this person? Do we really want to reject him and run away from him? Uh, we might have trouble in Dremoyne in 2019 or 2020, but do we really want to reject the one who laid the foundations of the whole earth, not just Dremoyne? Do we want to turn away from the one who not only created this earth but rules it all? Australia might oppose our religious freedom, but are we going to be dumb enough to oppose God's king and the greatest kingdom ever? Or would you prefer to be on his side? Would you prefer to have him watch your back? Would you prefer to just cling on to him? Folks, how encouraging is a look just at this Jesus. The second thing we pick up is the humility of Christ in Hebrews. Uh, Jesus is so humble. Now, now the Jews boasted that their religion was the best, just like, you know, we all think ours is the best. Uh, They actually had some basis for it, though. Uh, Why? Because uh, they knew the only true God. Uh, They were God's chosen people. They had God's law. They had a worldview of how this world came into existence by the creating hand of God that, that none of the other nations had. And they were more enlightened to God than the rest of the world. Uh, but, but, but instead of humbling them, they became proud. Uh, instead of devoting themselves to God because of this kindness, uh, they become ungrateful and disobedient. Uh, they boasted their religion was not man-made. They, they claimed that God had come and spoken to them quite specially as a people. In fact, uh, in their history, they have many recordings of angels, angels being sent by God to reveal to them God and to reveal to them God's will. Uh, These heavenly beings were sent specially to actually disclose to them the law of God and, and all forms of truth. Now, now, These angels, as I said in the kids' talk, are not little babies with wings that we like to have on our Christmas tree. Uh, It sometimes wouldn't mind, it mattered to me too much, if someone actually made an angel that fits something of the description of the Bible. I could put it on my Christmas tree and scare a lot of people out of the home. Um, But but, but they're scary. They're, They're not babies with wings. They're actually ferocious warriors. The name Gabriel means warrior of God. The name Michael means like God. Interestingly, uh, most of the angels' appearances we have in the Bible, or where you get the biggest bulk of angel appearances in the one time, are all around the birth of Jesus. And whenever they came to anyone, whether it be Mary or Zacharias, whether it be Joseph or the shepherds, uh, the instant feeling was, I'm in trouble. I'm in distress. Uh, 
it's scary. And so the first thing you hear the angel say is, don't be afraid. No other people on the face of this earth had such wonderful and yet such terrifying communication from God other than the Jews. And our first chapter of Hebrews argues that Jesus is greater than these fiery angels. He's superior to them. He's God. Can you imagine what it would be like to be in the presence of God? Well, then why would God come as a man? Why why would he come as a being that's lower than the angels? Why would he humiliate himself so much? It doesn't make sense. And if he becomes a man... And you're asking me to follow him, I'm following a man's religion, aren't I? Why would I go backwards when I've got a religion on this side here which has all come from angels? Well, in one sense, the writer's already countered that objection, hasn't he? Because he said, Jesus is God. But why does God come as a man? You've got to ask that question. Why is this weak, helpless baby? And then why die as this weak, dishonored criminal? Why not come as an angel? Why not as a ferocious warrior? He'd get my respect a lot easier if he was, if he had muscles and could fly. Well, the writer to the Hebrews is not ashamed of Jesus at all. He acknowledges he's a man. In fact, he confirms he is a true man. Uh, But he explains a few things we need to know. The first thing he explains is that humans might be a little lower than angels, but it will not always be the case. In the world to come, for instance, if you go to chapter 2, verse 5, Notice what he says. For he has not put the world to come of which we speak in subjection to angels. So so the world to come will not see the angels as administrators. You see, God's created man as the apex of creation, the zenith, the highest form in creation. And, And Hebrews confirms this. He he goes to Psalm 8, which we also read right at the beginning of the service, and he quotes Psalm 8 to tell you that this is known. This is something that God's already told you. And he says this, he says, What is man, in verse 6, that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, and set him over the works of your hands. Now, the words a little lower can mean a little lower, but they can also mean for a short while. And so what we're supposed to think when we read this is, for a short time, uh, we're a little lower than the angels. Adam and Eve were put in the garden, and they were for a short time to be a little lower than the angels. But even in their little lower state, they were still to rule over the earth. And they were still to be 
people who act as God's administrators of this earth. But then you look around today and you say, well, it's a bit of a mess, isn't it? Are we really ruling the earth like what God intended? Are we really in charge? I don't feel that if I'm put in a lion's cage, for instance. I don't feel that when we're in a drought and fires and I just don't know what to do. Once again, he quotes and acknowledges that, but he quotes and acknowledges that from the same psalmist in verse 8. You have put all things in subjection under his feet, for in that he put all in subjection under him. He left nothing that is not put under him, but now we do not yet see all things put under him. You see that he's alerting us to a problem, isn't he? Now we don't see it in its perfection. It's defective. It's imperfect. The writer's telling us about the problem we have of sin. He's telling us that Adam and Eve rebelled against God. And they and we all together became corrupt rebels who really don't want to listen to God. And our rebellion is far-reaching. It's not just personal. It doesn't just affect my soul alone. It affects all of creation. And in fact, the whole world's now become topsy-turvy. And the whole world suffers with anarchy and rebellion. And the world's in a mess, and you and I are in a mess. And the reason we cannot rule creation perfectly... And the reason we do not rule it is because we sin. And, and sin's in this world. And we need a solution. We need it to be restored to its perfect order. If not, it'll implode or explode. Actually, I can take that back a little. It, it, this earth won't implode or explode. You might think an impeachment might cause it or... A trade treaty that gets signed or doesn't get signed might cause it. You might think climate change might cause uh, this earth to implode or explode. Folks, uh, let me tell you a little tip. Before any of that happens, God will run out of patience with sinners. And when he runs out of patience and he's had enough, our time will be up. Our rebellion against God is an offense to God. And it's so offensive that he must act in judgment. Well, we don't need to worry about uh, global warming. We can worry about it if you want, but you might want to worry about the warming of hell before. Uh, we desperately need to avoid that warming, I can tell you. We, we definitely need to find a way to make sure we don't get caught up in that climate change. And folks, we can't avoid it on our own. We can't fix the problem ourselves. We need God's help. We need God to provide a way of escape. And the writer knows this. The Hebrews writer knows the only solution is Jesus. Why? Because Jesus came as a man. That's his point. He came to represent men. Represent you and represent me. 
Jesus, God's king, God's son, the creator of the universe, God himself, for a short while, became a little lower than the angels. And when he came, he showed us he could rule the earth. You heard Danny's prayer. He certainly got me in when he started talking about how Jesus controlled the weather. And he fed the 5,000. And he healed sicknesses. You see how he's restoring order. He defeated and cast out demons. He ruled rightly. He's the better man. He's the true man. Yes, he was born to poor and imperfect parents. His first sleep was not in a private hospital with a little menu where Mary could tick off which meals she'd like. Uh, His first sleep was in a shed where animals. He, He was welcomed into the world not by a doctor and a nurse who've been washed with all the sterile soaps you could find in the world. No, smelly, stinky shepherds uh, turned up, full of bacteria and germs. He worked as a carpenter. He got tired. He knew what hunger was. He was thirsty. He needed sleep. He even had your emotions and my emotions. But when he turned up to Lazarus's death, he cried. And then, quite unjustly, quite unfairly, he died a criminal's death on the cross. And he was buried just like all men. Just like you'll be buried and I'll be buried. Jesus came as a true man and he did not avoid a single human experience. The writer in verse 9, let me get you to read that with me, deliberately calls him Jesus, his human name. He doesn't use the title Christ. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor, that he by the grace of God might taste death for everyone. What humility. What incredible weakness. And what injustice and suffering he he bore. Well, you've got to ask the question, why? And the answer is simple, isn't it? Uh, He he told us. uh, It's to solve our problem of sin. He, He tells us he might taste death for everyone. He doesn't taste death for himself because he sinned. No, he tastes death for sinners. He came to be the representative who can take to himself our problem that we might receive from him the solution we need. Folks, the humility of Christ, the humility of Jesus should make us adore him. And the third thing we pick up from our text this morning is that the salvation of Jesus should make us very thankful. Uh, We must have a man who represents us. We've got to have someone who's walked in our shoes, don't we? We we can't have an animal represent us. Uh, We've got nothing in common, really, other than maybe we breathe and have blood and a few 
common markers? I don't know. Uh, we can't have an angel represent us. An angel uh, doesn't know what it's like to live in this world. We, we need an equal to take our place. But, but we need a perfect man. Someone who has not offended God to actually go into the presence of God and speak on our behalf. It's a paradox, isn't it? It's a contradiction. On the one hand, we want someone just like us, a man. On the other hand, we want absolute perfection and infinite goodness to deal with our infinite problem of sin. And the angels can't do that because they're not human. The angels can't provide infinity like uh, God does. And so there's only one that really fits the bill. And that's Jesus. Verse 9 again tells us that Jesus was a little lower than angels, but then for the suffering of death he is crowned with glory and honour. Uh, we were crowned with glory and honour at the beginning in creation, but we lost it in Adam's sin. Adam acted as a representative for us. Uh, Jesus now, without sin, he walks in our shoes and acts as our representative. He, he actually has to live in the mess of this world. And then after his death and resurrection, uh, he, he's then the perfect representative. He, he's crowned with glory and honor. And he's at the right hand of God uh, representing us before God. And just as Adam represented us in our sin, uh, he, he represents all those who believe in him, in his righteousness. Look at verse 10. For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. You see, God accepts Jesus. He accepts his sacrifice. Uh, and he has appointed him as the captain, the leader, the union delegate. He's the perfect representative or substitute for you and me. He, he's absolutely sinless, and yet he's truly man. Uh, and he suffered for our sin. Uh, and it makes him perfect as a captain. Uh, Whenever you've played sport, um, if you've ever had a captain, uh, I don't know how many times we felt they made the wrong decision. If only they let me bowl another couple of more overs, we would have won the match. But this team captain never gets it wrong. Uh, he's the perfect team leader. He's the perfect delegate. Someone who acts for many. Verse 11. Uh, we not only have this picture of a team leader or this union delegate who acts for us, but we have this family head, someone who's, if you like, representing our whole family. When I came to Australia for the first time in those days, and it'll take you back to history, my mum had a passport and it had my name on it and my brother's name on it and my sister's name on it. I didn't have my older sister because she was old enough to have her own passport. But, but when we turned up, 
Um, I was too busy looking around, but I imagine what they would have done is looked at her passport and her photo and the three names, and she had three kids, and they said, go through. I mean, today everyone needs a passport, but in those days, the Aussie government looked at mum, and her passport was enough to have us accepted in the country. In the same way, Jesus dies on the cross and rises again. And as a family head, all we need to do is have our names on his passport. But all we need is to be in him to be accepted by God. He brings us to God on the basis of his work and what he did on the cross. And he calls us brothers, sisters. Look at verse 11. For both he, that's Jesus, who sanctifies, and those who are being sanctified, that's us, are all one. You see, we're all in union. We're on the one passport. We're on the one unity ticket. For which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. He can do all of this because he is a man. Because he became man. He came as a man and fixed the problem. He came as flesh and blood to remove sin and all its consequences. He defeated and destroyed sin and death and the devil as flesh and blood. That's what verse 14 says. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. Folks, I don't know if you've grasped, but Christmas is pretty good, isn't it? It's the one time you're forced to think about the fact that Jesus became man. God became man. The theological term is incarnation. But if you don't like big words, you've got the picture already, haven't you? He's the perfect man who now becomes the perfect leader, the perfect family head to deliver sinful men and women from our bondage to Satan and sin. You see, the Hebrew writer makes a point of this. He says it's really important that you understand. God didn't send Jesus as an angel. Angels don't need saving. They've got no sin. You see, he sent Jesus as a man because men and women need saving. That, they're sinners. The, the angels revealed a lot about God, true. They acted as protectors and defenders in the Old Testament, and often they protected Israel from their human physical enemies. But when it came to the greatest work of salvation, for the greatest problem that mankind has, which is sin... God sent his own son as a man. And all the angels were, were really just announcers, ground announcers and spectators. They're a bit like Ray Warren, who's retiring, or if you're a fan like me of Richie Benno, who passed away sadly. Great announcers. The game's not the same. I can't watch the cricket anymore because he's not calling it. But, but that's all the angels were, announcers. Or they were spectators doing a Mexican wave on the side. They're like the fans. Uh, they, they never got to participate. They never got to run onto the field. 
the main player, the captain, is Jesus, isn't he, on the team, winning team? And he carries the whole team. He, he never makes a mistake. And those who trust in him, those who turn from their rebellion and surrender in their war against God and say, I give up. I'm going to accept God's peace offering through Jesus. But, well, they're spectators that run onto the field with Jesus. Uh, can I put it to you that if you haven't done that, you're on the wrong team? And you need to be on Jesus' team because it's the team that will win. And you see, it's this idea of being a partaker that the Hebrew writer wants you to understand. Verse 16. For he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Those words, give aid, literally means take hold and deliver. Take hold and carry. Lift up to victory. He doesn't do that for angels, but he does that for the seed of Abraham. And the seed of Abraham, who are they? Well, they're everybody who has the same faith as Abraham. Everyone who leaves behind their sin and their old ways, like Abraham did, and everyone who turns to God and follows him. Can I ask you this morning, have you done this? Can I ask you, if you haven't done it, to, to cry out to Jesus for help? I can't help you. No one else can. Your family won't help you. This church can't help you, as lovely as you are. And if you have, well, well then this morning you should be saying thank you to God, shouldn't you? Thank you for this wonderful Savior and this wonderful salvation. And quite frankly, as I think about him, I'm motivated to press on. I'm excited about going on and following him even more. I don't want to turn back. There's no chance I'm going to give up. As much as lies in me, I'm going to call on him to help me make it all the way to glory. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you again for Jesus. Thank you for Christmas and the time where we get to think about him. And we do pray uh, that just as the angels uh, sang, it might be our experience uh, this coming week that uh, you would be glorified. That, uh, there that there would be goodwill and peace. Uh, not, not in the sense that we have these fuzzy feelings in our hearts, but that uh, we would be at peace with you, our God. Uh, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.